As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Koto Hari Mai, welcome to this week's episode of Mud and Blood. Yeah, my name's Liam, the uh, the host down in New Zealand, and joining me today, as always, from all the way at Germany, fresh from a high school musical, we have <laughs> my boy Matt. Kia ora bro, how you doing? Just to clarify, I was filming a high school drama, not um, taking part in one. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all right. I'm a bit um, coming down off of a very stressful um, evening. It's one of those typical things. I was told that this this drama would last about um, this high school drama would last about an hour, and it ended up being four. And naturally, um, yeah, all the equipment we had failed one after the other. So yeah, it's been fun. And then yeah, I thought I'd have a couple of hours before this session to uh, to prepare, and didn't have any. So all good. Thankfully, I did some preparation the, the few days um, past, so I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, um, how's the weather by you? It's pretty, pretty nice. It's overcast. It's a nice, pleasant sort of you know high teens. Um, so I'm not sweating nuts. I'm actually wearing clothes this time. So you know, it's um. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Make sure you join Patreon, folks, because I do this shit with the camera then. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Uh, it's it's quite nice. Uh, oh, be careful what you promise. <laughs> yeah, we'll, be, we'll have to open a Pornhub account. Anyway, how are you doing over in Germany, mate? You good? What's the temperature like there? Yeah, it's uh, like 12, 12 to 15 degrees the last few days. So it's uh, we've got some weird springtime weather coming after a lot of, a lot of cold weather, but... Yeah, it's um it's the cold season right now in terms of uh, viruses and things. I was I was down for most of the week with a, a fever and man flu in general, and everyone around me is basically collapsing from the usual lurgy. So uh, yeah, not not been a fun week, but um, yeah, thankfully I'm oh, coming man. around the the tail end of it. So apologies if you hear me hacking a little bit on the on the, on the episode. Yeah. And if you don't hear him hacking, you can thank Julia, our editor. No, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a great week for me, man. I uh, I went and um, played a uh, played a concert with my new band on Friday night. It was our first gig with this oh, band. Yeah. Went off 
fucking awesome. Huge crowd, great response. Um, wow, cool. Been brainstorming all week for this this episode because sometimes inspiration just hits you. When inspiration strikes, you got to grab it because if you're like me, your memory's terrible. So when it's there and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you're working on it because otherwise you'll forget everything. <laughs> So it's been a week of it's been a week of rock and roll and and writing about uh, about role playing games. So yeah, it could be worse. It could be much worse. So just just to confirm, then most of this most of the shit you're going to be coming out with on this episode is going to be the result of you having woken up in the middle of the night after out partying with your uh, with your band, right? <laughs> uh, some of it, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's just put it. Let's just put it into perspective, I guess, a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually, it's. I was thinking about it a bit. My band I'm in is called Snail Rider, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I was thinking about fucking some weird fucked up shit because, like, in my mind, Snail Rider, you've got like a knight with a lance on the back of a snail. It's some weird stuff. And um, at the gig, yeah, obviously there's some drinks involved. I got to try some Polish sniffing tobacco. You ever had snuff before? It's weird. No. It's like snorting a Vicks vapor rub or something. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the whole. It's been a, it's been a cool week. All right, I've had a good fucking week. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> just talking about nights on on snails. Um, there's a Kickstarter that just started about some um some people making minis for this uh these weird medieval um paintings that feature things like um snails like snails with fighting like um rabbits with lances and shit it's like really weird some like really really weird medieval art lots of dicks involved as well um yeah anyway we like find this i'm trying to remember the name of it it's like two it starts with an m um uh, i've tr- i've just looked kickstarter snail night and that didn't come up with anything yeah i'm trying um, to because <laughs> obviously I need to see this. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Rodders. That's the one. Mar um marginalia paraphernalia. Oh man. Yeah. You can see there's a woman who is possibly a man harvesting penises from a tree. Yep. Nice. Oh no, this is something different. This is something slightly different. It's the same <laughs> artwork. It's the same artwork, but somebody's making miniatures of it. So this isn't this is an old. Um... Okay, we're gonna have to find it. We're definitely gonna have to find it because this is actually minis. This current one, it's <laughs> marginalia is definitely marginalia is definitely the right one. Medieval, here we go. Medieval marginalia. This is fucking awesome. This <laughs> yeah. So there's this there's this Kickstarter called Medieval Marginalia which features a bunch of very fucked up medieval paintings that are being converted into minis. Um, it's successfully funded um, over, like, it's like 200% funded right now, eight days to go on it, which means by the time this goes live, it's going to be nearly finished. Um, but there's just a ton of crazy shit, like a dog, a dog jousting on the back of a rabbit, and he's jousting against a rabbit on the back of a snail that has a, an old man's head. All right. Know, it's just... It's just the stuff of fucking, you know, somebody doing herbal drugs in the medieval times and then painting it, painting about it. It's awesome. That's what it is. (laughs) So whilst we're talking about um, these weird, fantastical elements, what's today's episode about, Matt? 
what, what are we actually here to discuss? We don't want to spend too long building up to the premise. We get told off about that on Twitter, so let's get to it. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been we've had quite a few people um, since we started asking about game design. Do we? Can we talk about game design? Can we design something? Can we go into the theory of game design? And we've been trying to think about how to best do this because, on the one point, we aren't. Um, although I'm I'm dabbling with game design right now, making a game of my own. Um, neither of us have been, you know, have been designing games for a long time. Um, there are plenty of other good podcasts out there with people who are, you know, long term game designers who talk a lot about the the process. In amongst other things like um, Ken and Rob, the Ken and Rob podcast, for example. Anyway, and uh, we kind of thought maybe the best way to approach this would be for us to make the ideal mud and blood game and to basically do the whole process um over you know live over a number of episodes as a series so this is the first of a game design a new game design series where we are going to create a game and uh yeah we'll see where it goes yeah basically like when people talk about the whole game design thing we're like well we could talk about it but that would be boring to a lot of people whereas if we just try and put it into practice um, and come up with a game that we want to play. It might not be the game you want to play. You might disagree with a lot of the concepts we come up with, especially when we move on to mechanics. That's quite a personal preference sort of thing. Um, and we'll discuss that in depth, and we'll look at the different options and, and try and justify our thinking for why we go the directions that we go. Um, but, yeah, basically, we just want to make a fucking game, and we might talk to you guys <laughs> about it, and, you know, we're open to suggestions. So we're doing this as a series. We're breaking this up into parts. We've still got our regular stuff going on in between. So, you know, we've got this episode. I know for the next two episodes after this, we're doing nothing to do with this subject. So yep. we'll drop into it maybe once a month or so, Um and that will give people time to say, hey, cool idea, you should try this, or have you considered this, or whatever, between them. And hopefully together yeah. we can all come up with a game setting uh, which we can all have good times with. Um, I I highly, highly, highly doubt it'll see any form of publishing or actual <laughs> official creation. It is more just, Never say never. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You never know. But I'm just saying, at the moment, you know, we're just, it's just an exercise. It's just a thought exercise. Um, but but yeah. with, with indie publishing the way it is, we could just throw something into Google Docs and chuck it into a PDF and throw it up on DriveThruRPG with, uh, you know, free or pay, pay what you want. And, uh, you know. Yeah. It's hey. as easy as that. And if you want that, let us know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, well, let's let's wait until we've actually developed the first the thing first, right? So, um, it might not be any good. <laughs> so, I've talked about how we're doing this over a series of episodes, and um, what we're doing is we're basically breaking the whole process down a step at a time. Um, and Matt and I are deliberately trying not to discuss too much stuff behind the scenes, so that we go through this process with you guys live. Um, we'll be focusing on. The broader concepts obviously because you don't want to sit here and listen to us discuss for hours you know the real nitty-gritty bits and pieces but we'll we'll you know we're going to do this live and what we're starting with before we get to mechanics or anything like that we've decided to go with a setting first mentality um primarily mm -hmm. because there's lots of good like we don't want to be we don't want to make a a, a setting agnostic system there's heaps of good ones out there already we want to come up with the system that mud and blood wants to play <laughs> and then 
the setting, sorry, that Mum and Blood wants to play, and then a, a system to accurately represent that. Um, so yeah, and to start the whole process, we have today's episode, which is specifically world building. Um, we're going to create the place in which the games happen, um, and some broad concepts and stuff, and then in the next episode, we'll go into cultures, details about the how, like what happens inside the setting, whereas this is just the where. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and both Matt and I have spent the week feverishly writing down ideas that we have. Um, I've only just seen Matt's for the first time. Matt's had a quick glance over mine, um, and we're basically going to discuss our different ideas in depth. And basically, between the two of us, uh, and potentially even we've got some people listening in live, they're more than welcome to have some input as well. We'll, uh, we'll discuss it and uh, see what we come up with. I don't know. It, yeah. could, it could be a fucking cool episode. It could be shit. <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> and before anybody thinks like, oh, hold on a second. Um, why, don't we, why aren't you guys using microscope? Or why aren't you going through Dungeon World? Or um, something... Um, you know, something along these lines. We've we've considered, yeah, we've considered coming up with. I I, I have a, a a hardback copy of um, Microscope and Kingdom by Ben Robbins. Um, we've talked about the various options, and in the end, rather than doing something very structured, we've decided we just want to we just want to have a bit more of a conversation about this whole thing, um, keep it a bit more high level, and um, yeah, and therefore we're not using any specific. Um, resources that you could use theoretically to do a similar exercise um instead yeah we're just gonna what we're gonna i guess what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about that kind of high the high level world ideas first so kind of um pitches for the the setting um we'll agree on something and then we'll talk around the central conflicts um that we've like ideas for central conflicts as liam has said we've come up with lots of ideas for both of these separately um already and we've tried to keep them modular so that they're not all tied together too tightly. Um, and that way we can kind of, you know, hopefully both of us bring some of these some of these ideas together and come up with some weird hodgepodge, beautiful mess of, of something. Um, now, in saying all that, the one thing we did talk about in advance just before we started brainstorming was genre. Because obviously we could have done a hell of a lot of brainstorming around things like well here's a here's a a dozen fantasy ideas here's a dozen sci-fi ideas here's a dozen you know um modern modern ideas for like the you know the modern day um you know antiquity we could have done stuff with like the romans or the um any people group in any any point of time so yeah, we, we did it. We came up with an idea or came up with an agreement first on genre, just so that we were a bit more focused with our brainstorming. And uh, yeah, Liam, do you want to do you want to talk through what we came up with? <laughs> I was torn on like I've, I've made no secret of the fact that I'm slightly burnt out on, on fantasy, like specifically modern fantasy. I'm a bit over it, a bit sick of it. However, 90 percent of the RPG scene and settings seems to be fantasy. Um, because despite the fact that this is make-believe, we all want to make believe the same thing, apparently. Um, so <laughs> that's that's what that's what it's it's is, but neither of us wanted to do just normal fucking fantasy, god damn it. We both had <laughs> both of us actually like we were both were doing our things in, in isolation from each other and then we sort of started talking and you know, we're like, hey look, just so you know, 
I'm feeling some weird shit. I got some weird ideas. That's what was Matt was basically saying to me. I got I got some weird ideas, and I was like, "That's good," because the way I'm feeling about it is like <laughs> weird, weird, almost like like science fantasy, and not 40k science fantasy. I'm talking like Vancey and shit. I'm talking like sorcerers that might know how to use technology or whatever and Matt's like cool same page and that's where we're at we're looking at some weird fantasy stuff still fantasy you know still yeah. if you're into your fantasy there's still fantasy but it's going to be like 60s fantasy you know back before basically Dungeons and Dragons came along and modern fantasy came along and codified everything into these tropes that we know which was all based heavily on Tolkien before that you had like the weird tales um, and weird science sort of comics and stuff that come out back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even before then. Um, and that's sort of what we're looking at. That's the way your brain's going. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe. No, mine's, um, I've, I've, in terms of like weird, weird fiction, um, I'm a big fan of um, China, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Meville, um, Perdido Street Station, The Scar, some really, really awesome, weird fantasy books that aren't that old. Okay. Um, okay. I've also that's read cool. the Book of the New Sun, um, trilogy or quadrilogy whatever it's called four books by um gene wolf um not that i remember any of it it was a long time ago but um i remember i remember the setting kind of blew me away it's uh it's quite quite heavy going those books but um that's set in a kind of dying earth in the dying earth mm -hmm. genre so millions of years in the future the sun is dimming and the world is cooling and it's a fantasy but but set so far in the future that you know there's technology that's kind of almost seems magical mm. um so those are for me those are the kind of touch points that i was i was kind of dealing with in my head like if i did fan if we do fantasy i would like to there's so much kind of as you said tolkien type fantasy out there but there's not a lot of really weird fantasy and you could do so much stuff either going with the like as as you said and um like the kind of vancian or the this gene wolf style um fantasy yeah i'm thinking like french heavy metal magazine back in the day you know what i mean remember do you, do you remember the old french mm. heavy metal that sort of stuff i've never read it but i'm aware of it yeah yeah that's what yeah. i'm thinking but it's cool man we'll okay. figure it out we'll make it work yeah we'll, we'll we'll smash cool. our ideas together and come up with a, a brownie mess that'll be suitably <laughs> muddy and bloody <laughs> so let's let's talk about themes a little bit right um I haven't really come up with any. I think the only the only themes we really need is something suitable for mud and blood, right? It just mm. needs to be gritty. It needs to be a bit shitty. Um, we get that definitely it's not going to be anything involving um, you know demigod type heroes. Mm. No, um, that's kind of the only the only real uh, themes that I've got nailed down in my head. I am um, like fittingly, I'm still I'm still in my head. I've still got fucking like. You have to have the world has to be dangerous, right? Obviously, because we talk about dark and gritty games. But like last week, we're talking about survival in the wilderness and how that's a big thing that not a lot of games do. So that's I think that's something that we should also look at is a setting where the environment itself is a threat. You know, being like with dying earth, that's easy to do with post-apocalyptic or whatever. That's easy to do. Something to consider actually is that even modern um fantasy the majority of fantasy 
is in one way, shape or form post-apocalyptic, even if it doesn't seem so on the outset. There's always some ancient civilization or a, or they're in the process of a civilization dying. Like Warhammer, for example, has clearly had a couple of close to apocalyptic moments in its history and it's on the verge of another one, right? Like these are themes which are quite common, especially in the games that we're interested in. And I'm thinking we take that and we turn it up to 11, right? So... All right the world is yep. is is coping with the response to that or it's in the edge of something like that i don't know is that is that something you're cool with is that something oh yeah you? oh yeah all right yeah yeah i think i think there's been an apocalypse event either on the horizon or just gone in all of the all of the brainstorming ideas i came up with so Same. that that suits pretty well yeah, yeah. um I, I had a couple which weren't like overtly apocalyptic like um colonization type stories you know meeting of cultures hmm. but those meeting of cultures generally from one perspective or the other are normally apocalyptic in nature right like if you look at the at manifest destiny you could easily argue that for the native populations of america that was an apocalypse or you look hmm. at the arrival of the hmm. conquistadors to south america so there's no reason why you can't have a similar thing here um yep. so i definitely because th- you need to have some sort of underlying tragedy to the situation hmm. right otherwise it's a bit clean <laughs> yeah it's a bit you know absolutely like, um so yeah that's kind of that's, that's 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 what i'm feeling that's what i'm feeling all right what else are you thinking themes cool. wise you got any other themes that are in your mind no not really i think um i think we could probably readdress themes in our next episode after we've hashed out the mm. the kind of the setting a bit like we're going to do today um yeah i think I think that's good enough. I mean, we're going to have a dangerous environment. We're going to have possibly some sort of apocalyptic event um, at some point, at some time around the, you know, in the, in the setting and just make sure that we keep things um, suitably dark and gritty. So we don't have, we're not setting up events where you need heroes to save the world from impending doom. It's more like, no, it's, it's already fucked up. And you're just trying to survive and make the most of a bad mm-hmm. situation, kind of thing. Typical Warhammer style. Yeah, definitely. Here's a question for you, because mm-hmm. a lot of my ideas could easily take place on our world, albeit much further removed from today. Um, are we wanting it to be a completely fictional world, or do we want it to be a a alternative take on our own world? Because I know this is something that you've done, obviously with with uh with uh, Nord Saga, um, and this is stuff that we've seen other we've reviewed like the Genesis, right, which has done it. So, mm. are we wanting the freedom of our own setting, or do we want the comfortable ease of use of having a a framework to already work off? So the four setting pitches I've come up with, two of them are on the running on the basis that it's our own world and two of them are running on the basis that they are fantasy worlds. So mm-hmm. I guess it just let's let's talk about the let's kind of go through the setting pitches and kind of agree on something and, and come see where it takes us. Okay. I'm 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 I think it's there's there's um you know there's pros and cons for going either route. Um I don't I don't think I don't feel particularly drawn to one over the other at this mm-hmm. stage. Yeah, and there's there's also pitfalls to both, right? The, the obvious pitfall to creating a new world is you have to create all of it. The um a pitfall yeah. that a lot of people that maybe don't consider when they create something in the real world is that 
your one, there's limitations within that. Limitations can be good, but they can be bad. And also two, you have to try and navigate some difficult subjects because um, you're dealing with real world cultures. It could be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years in the future, but you kind of you have to be careful with it. Yes, you know, because you don't want to yeah. upset anyone. So there's pitfalls in both. I'm confident we can navigate them. I have faith in our abilities, yep. Matt. I think, <laughs> I think we got this. Right. Let's let's jump in. All right. Then. You want to start? Yeah. Should we uh, l- let's right. give let's take turns. Yeah. Okay. I um I listed my setting ideas as gimmicks. Right. Like a, a, a core elevator pitch gimmick because every setting needs a gimmick. As in, why should you play my game instead of this other game? You know, like you know, every game's got its thing that it does. So I'll I'll go down them in the order that I wrote them, which isn't necessarily my order of favorites. That way there's no favoritism and we can discuss them all fairly and evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, so I've got one written here, the top one. Um a post. I'll, I'll read what I wrote down so you can kind of see what I was thinking at the time. A post-apocalyptic and so far after the event, quotations, that the world has forgotten everything, ruined cities and forgotten relics, cover the landscape, etc. Think Terry Brooks without the obvious Tolkien references. Humanity lives in fear of an alien and dangerous landscape, warlocks and wizards with a weird mix of tech and magic, and so on. That's basically what we've similarly described. But, um... Yeah, I think that one sentence, okay. think Terry Brooks without the Tolkien references, <laughs> is is more or less what I'm getting at. This would be after like a nuclear type or like some sort of apocalyptic event. Yeah, I mean, it could be climate change. Not far in our own future? Or nah, is this something far. where there's been multiple one, multiple? Yeah, very, like, very, possibly... very far. So that like okay. our current day cities are ruins, the same way we look at Greek ruins and we, we struggle to relate to them, it'd be like that. Mm. Um you know, but for whatever reason, humanity's gone dark in that time. History's been lost. It's all a mystery. Yeah. Okay. And we're basically back in the dark ages or ancient times yeah. and we're rebuilding society, but in the ruins of this world. Um, one thing that was really cool, I referenced Terry Brooks there and it's an idea which always kind of stuck with me. I read him when I was a kid. Um, I didn't like it because the story was basically Lord of the Rings set on our own world. It <laughs> felt very Tolkien. But um, You're talking uh, Shannara, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Yeah. Um, but like I liked the way he never told you it was on Earth, and then when he's describing mm. these ruins, it felt like you're you're sitting there going, "That's really weird sounding," and in your head you're drawing this picture, and then he describes them being attacked by the spider with skin made of metal, and it, it wasn't until halfway through the book that I clicked it was the real world, right? Um, mm. And that that always stuck with me. That was really fucking clever, like observing our world from a different perspective. So that's sort of what I'm getting mm. at here. But instead of it being, like I said, Tolkien, it could be blasted deserts as the result of a nuclear war. It could be a nuclear war combined with fucking climate change and all this other shit that's going on. Yeah. Right. There's all these things that could have happened um, that have left us with this blasted landscape. Um, and, you know. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of... Um where Numenera went, but obviously they went really, really, really far in the future, um, like a billion years or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I've got, I've actually, my second pitch is very, very similar to that. Um, let me just read that very quickly. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, far, far future Earth. I'll just re- read out what I've written. Hundreds of years, hundreds of thousands of years in the future. 
Climate change, aggressive terraforming, and countless wars have wreaked huge changes to the planet. Civilizations have risen and fallen, and much of what was once known is now lost due due to the ravages of war and time. The current state of the planet is a dark age where keepers of past knowledge, technology, hold positions of power as they wield this magic, and a new ice age is ever so slowly creeping forward. So very, very similar to what you what mm. you said. So it's, you know, thousands and thousands of years in the future. Um, definitely post-apocalyptic is what I was thinking of. But, you know, the world may have been recovering from it, but we're, it's in a kind of dark age um, where, yeah, yeah, where, you know, people can't necessarily read. And the people who, do, who can read and are kind of hoarding knowledge are the ones in power. Definitely, um, and yeah. they're they're kind of using their knowledge of, of technology past, past technology as a means of, um, you know, keeping the population under control. Mm. And then I threw the ice age in there as well, because of, um, ice ages tend to go through a hundred thousand year cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's anyway, so it's thinking like they happen very, very, very slowly. So it might be interesting where, you know, the, the ice, the, the ice caps are slowly starting to freeze over again. And instead of having the entire world, it's kind of a strip around the middle, um, as the ice caps are kind of closing in. That's, that's very, very similar to my favorite idea, but we'll get to that when we get to that. But, um, <laughs> what I will discuss is I really like the imagery of this. I really like, um, like, because you could say that there was a period there where we completely lost, like no one really knew how to read the books or it was so... I say I say this as someone whose native language is, has been considered dead and then been resurrected, right? Um, and then I, I think of it like I think of how hard it is for us to really know how our ancestors spoke, even though there's only a couple of generations mm. of separation there. Yeah. Um, and I could I look at um, like this and I think right, so imagine a, a big swath of time where the 99% of the population couldn't read and then the few people who could, by the time it's passed on, their understandings evolved over generations to when you look at these languages and some people have a basic idea, but as you say, they've used this to, to empower themselves as opposed to empower um, empower everything else. Um, and what I'm thinking is like, like instead of a magic tome, like what you see a wizard pull out his tone full of spells. You've got mm. someone who's pulling out this ancient, moldy, like decrepit and, and torn apart um, manual of schematics. <laughs> and this, mm. like of like what we yeah. now you would yeah. use with like electrical diagrams and things in it. And they're yeah. using this to create magical light that they can turn on wherever. And these people would be infinitely powerful in a setting because they hold this knowledge that no one else can understand. And they themselves don't really understand it. They're having to figure out what these little icons mean and, and all this sort of stuff. Because I, I don't know about you, man. I'm not very tech savvy when it comes to ele- electronics or whatever. I open, and I used mm. to work in a fucking tech place. <laughs> I, I open those those books with instructions on how to make little electrical panels whatever and i felt i may as well have been looking at a fucking magic tome it was all news to me it was just all squiggly lines um so i can definitely see that especially if you've removed the means of industry the means to easily recreate this stuff so they're having to make them all by hand themselves or scavenge up you know the refuge of a of a long gone you know um age or whatever um Mm. And yeah, yeah, you can have a lot of freedom if I mean, if you go far enough into the future. You've you've got things like what we would consider sci-fi tech that could be ancient tech, like nanites, mm. um, self-replicating stuff. Where it's kind of like you might not necessarily need to 
know the details. You just need to know the little secret that makes it work. Mm. And maybe that's been handed down as like, um, ver- like in a verbal tradition from, you know, um, technomancer to technomancer. Like, this is how you get this artifact, this magical artifact to work. Mm. You have to speak the magical words or, you know, it's like a voice activated, um, you know, type of thing. You have to press the sacred ruins and then run your finger yeah, on, yeah. The, on the pattern to and unlock just, Android. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, you know, it's, it, would seem like, it would seem like magic, but it wouldn't necessarily be, yeah, it just would be, it would just be technology. So yeah, I think there's a lot of scope there. It's very reminiscent of like the machine spirit in 40K where, um, you know, like they talk about every machine has a machine spirit and how like every vehicle has its own. What they really mean is like, you know how we all got that uncle that has that old car and he's like, oh, you got to pump the gas three times, then turn the ignition and then the car will start after the third turn or something. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like that's what they're basically saying when they say there's a machine spirit. It might be AI, but a lot of the time it's just you got to know what you're working with. And this could be the same thing. You've got this wizard that's super yeah. fucking powerful because he knows how to get his computer running and this computer might have a shield generator in it that protects his tower from everybody else because mm. it was once a, an orbital defense station or something so yeah no, it's cool there's 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 promise there it could be something as simple as like underfloor heating in an old like an ancient um like where everyone's living maybe they're living in this massive like um castle or something that has has had underfloor heating plugged into it and this is like the the guy in charge is the only one who knows how to get it to work but he doesn't tell you know it's it's his secret so it's like if you don't do what i want i will i will make it winter again inside and they're like oh no <laughs> cold feet please don't and um you know little things like that where yeah i don't know i think there's there's plenty of plenty of scope to uh yeah yeah to run with definitely no, there is. And it's like, you can imagine, right? Like, yeah, you got this blasted frozen landscape where everyone's abandoned it because it's too cold. And there's someone there who's got this tower with this underfloor heating. <laughs> and that's that's keeping them going, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, little things like that. It's, it's doable. Yeah. It's fucking doable. You can yeah. have quests where you're sent off to go and collect the magical nectar which is needed to make this machine go and it's just gas for a generator but you don't fucking know that <laughs> yeah no it's cool what i think is important to say as well is like in my list i wrote that a setting's probably going to have several of these gimmicks so there's no reason yeah, we don't have to yeah. settle on one of these things we're discussing these are just ideas right so no i like it we're both we're both very much on the same page there and there's some cool things there that we can do okay so hit us with your next one then well, it's <laughs> the this one is uh, is yeah very similar to what we just discussed. Uh, I'll read it out. The settings world is in an ice age and has been for centuries. Humanity is cut off. Large beasts stalks the wilderness, and it's a struggle for survival. Very savage, very brutal, and very cold. So it's just that can that can be true of the thing we just discussed. Mm, um, okay, but I'm imagining like you know like evolved or altered megafauna. Because, you know, um, yeah. it could have been an ice age for a long time. So stuff's like straight up evolved to suit it. But humanity has somehow carried on, um, you know, through, you know, um, innovation or whatever, you know, our, our general creativeness. Um, so, yeah, just a freezing fucking hellhole. Um, mm. And this this could be true for the whole thing. It could be true for a part of it. But like going back to what we discussed last week, the whole surviving um in the wilderness um is very much you know 
this is that turned up to 11. Make a setting mm. where the wilderness is as much an enemy as everything else. But mm. I wrote this down, and then again, my favourite, my favourite, which we'll fucking get to it in a minute, <laughs> includes this amongst other things as well. Okay. But yeah, um, that's, that's just the basics of the thing. What's your next one? Or what do, what do you want to discuss about that if you want to? Um, so minor less, minor less gimmicks, minor more like setting pitches. Um, but yeah, I'll read the next one, um, which is the first okay. one on my list. Um, I've written a twisted take on standard fantasy. Um, and what I've run with is the idea that this there's a fantasy world that has been invaded by aliens. And by... I mean, like actual sci-fi mm-hmm. aliens have landed, and this is—I'm I'm aware that I've recently read um, a comic series called um, *Port of Earth*, which is basically aliens land on Earth and they—they they don't come in peace, they don't come in war, they come in business, and they agree with the people of Earth to set up this port in an, in an ocean, and they will leave humanity alone no no one from um no humans are allowed on this port in the in the, like just off the coast of california and no aliens are allowed to leave the port and aliens can basically come water is the source of kind of um interstellar travel kind of so we have an uh, we have a, like an almost unlimited source on the earth and basically what happens is um the aliens don't stay on the port um eventually some of them show up in san francisco there's a massive um someone fires a gun at them and they wipe out like a thousand people etc and there's a security force set up on earth to control these aliens anyway that's the that's the premise of this comic which is quite interesting um mm-hmm. and that has kind of influenced me a bit to think like well okay what if we take a similar concept which is that aliens have come and they've landed on this fantasy planet and they have started, it's not about water, it's about terraforming. They, there's something that they, want with the, that they want with the planet. There's a lot of ways we could go with this if we decide to go this way. And when I'm talking aliens, I'm not talking about bipedal um, talking aliens. These are unknowable aliens. They might be slugs, they might be, mm. um, you know, just something weird, right? And, but yeah. the idea is that they're slowly, they're slowly transforming our, this fantasy world into something that's more suitable to them. It's having an impact on our on this planet's fl- um, fauna and flora, and it's forced basically um, all of the all of the uh, the race the fantasy races to go underground where they're not or like the terraforming isn't able to to influence them. So what I've written is um, the humanity has fled underground with the remnant of dwarves. So I've kind of pitched this like almost like it's a Warhammer. Um, an alternate Warhammer end times kind of scenario. This is kind of what Where was playing in my head. Back. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But from like aliens from another planet. Um, so the dwar- the kind of the dwarves are were in decline already, but now that now humanity has fled underground and is like living alongside them. Um, the elves, the ones that the ones that did, the, the very very few that decided that they wanted to go underground have gone mad because they they just can't handle it underground right and they have now completely fucking mental like you can't play them they are they are like i kind of imagine them like uh the creatures from the descent that film yeah mm-hmm. um or the what's i don't know if you've ever played um skyrim or any of those games there's like this underground um race anyway it's like an underground elf race Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the halflings didn't go deep enough, so rest in peace. They're all they've been wiped out, which should make you happy. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and the issue is that now that there are perils both in the deep places in the earth that have always been there, um, but there's also this the surface is extremely perilous because of, um, you know, everything's been changed, is has is being changed and has been changed. Um, the ruins of, of that last civilization are still there on the surface if people are brave enough to go and venture in and try and reclaim, you know, artifacts or you know whatever wood is also the most valuable commodity despite somehow being changed with the terraforming efforts that have been going on and the other thing i've written down is that um goblins have also allied with humans and the dwarves against this common foe so um there would probably be a lot of ancient grudges and uh, resentment against the goblins but yeah so maybe a bit like goblins in the simple room setting so if mm. you were playing it you would be playing like a human a dwarf or a goblin those would be like yeah. the three options. So okay. that's that's kind of what I went with. That was for my for my next setting pitch. I actually I have something similar. I broke my list up slightly oh, similar to yours. I you know have setting gimmicks and then I've got central conflict slash plot devices. And mm -hmm. I actually included that pitch within that central conflict plot device thing. Um, but I'll, Aliens I'll read or? What, yeah, I'll read what I wrote and then I, I wrote it from both perspectives. So. I have to read them kind of, to make sense, I have to read both of them. So it was okay. you and your people seek a new life in a new land, but this land is strange, savage, and lacking civilization. Clash of cultures as primitive meets technology. Then immediately below that I have, as above but reversed, an alien culture has invaded, adjust to this culture slock, shock, and in brackets, it could be literal aliens. So I'm mm. sort of on a similar page. I like what you're saying. In my mind, I'm imagining aliens, like which, I, as I've sort of said a couple of times, very Lovecrafty and big, mm -hmm. unknowable-looking things, which maybe they're just the workers from this advanced civilization which mm. have turned up and are using stuff that to us doesn't look like technology. This looks like innate abilities or it looks like magic or whatever to meld the world, right? To mold it mm. to their new shape. So, Like when you start saying that, like have you seen the movie The Mist? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. One of my favorite movies ever. You know, at the end when they're in the car and that big fucking thing yeah. walks around the car? That's what yeah. I'm imagining. Like that sort of yeah, thing, sure. just walking through the landscape and changing yeah. it. And it's becoming irreversibly different. Um, yeah. That's, and, yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of see this as well, like you said, with um, like Lovecraftian entities. I've I've seen it the same way. Like the, the reason that humanity is, um, all these races are still able to, survive underground is because these these other races they don't they don't care about they're not bothered about wiping out the existing mm. biological people on the planet they're just interested in terraforming and if anyone comes and tries to mess around with their efforts they'll just you know put a stop to to it as like a localized thing as if think of it like you've got um you've got mice or rats um yeah or ants you, you're trying to lay ants. the foundations of a building and there's an ant nest just pour petrol on it and keep going Right? Yeah, it's the exact same thing. And those ants might survive and just move like, you know, um, you know, 100, 200 yards away and start a new nest or something. Or if you've got mice, you might put mouse traps down until you've caught, caught the mice. Um, but they're still they're still in the fields around around the, the house or whatever. And, you know, you're never going to you're not going to go in like this, you know, try and exterminate all the mice or all the rats or all the ants. Yeah. You're just going to try and put us up to them locally, right? And that's yeah. kind of how I envision this as well is, you know, they're not, the, these are, these beings are so powerful and so focused on the big picture that they couldn't care less about like what humanity is doing. Even if, even if, um, not humanity, but the like these races, even if they're trying to put up some sort of 
organized defense, and they make a massive show of trying to like destroy one of these terraforming um, stations or something. Well, they'll just build a new one. They'll put a stop. They'll put a stop to it. They bomb bombard it from orbit or something, and then <laughs> just install a new one. Well, not even that. You know how like in in the real world, people trained terriers or they had ferrets which would go down rabbits nests oh yeah you could have oh, that yeah. sort of thing here they have yeah. their own little fucking xenomorph like creatures which <laughs> might be roaming around the upper layers of these yeah. of these things That's you good. might be like yeah. this old settlement over there which we used to communicate with has gone dark they had some supplies that we really really need like we used to trade with them they had the fresh water we had the wood supply <laughs> <laughs> and now you need to go and get the fucking water because they've gone dark and you send your party in there and there's this horrible fucking thing in there just feasting on the remains of this other thing and you've walked in. That's fucking like prime adventure material. Like I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I'm getting ideas. You're giving me ideas, Matt. I'm liking this. I'm liking this. All right. Let's let's move swiftly on. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Um, So this is, uh, again, this is something that they could plug into any of these other settings we've come up with. Humanity lives in large metropolises where everyone is crammed together and the divisions between classes are extreme. Reasons for this can be oppression by rulers, church, etc., danger from the outside of the walls, hostile environment, and so on. Think Fantasy Megacity 1, but perhaps uh, with uh, a live campaign run by the city rulers for their own gains. Could be anywhere, could be underground, out to sea, mm. etc. This is an idea of like a big metropolis and you're told mm. do not go outside out there will we'll get you. Um, and okay. it's this dark, gritty place. People are living on top of each other. It's miserable. And everything outside is unknowable. And, okay. I mean, yeah. that, that could that could plug into the setting that we just described. It could plug into any of the previous ones. Just this idea yeah. where these rulers want you to live in squalor and they want everyone to be stuck together because then they can control them. And they might talk about how there's horrible things out there. But then... You know, that, that leaves a lot of mystery or a lot of, like, so your party can go out and actually discover mm. this stuff. And, you know, um, I just like that imagery. I like the, I really like the idea of having a big um, metropolis type of, um, or like, yeah, a, a city that is highly populated where, yeah, yeah, it's dangerous to go outside and they're keeping everyone in. That sounds really good. Yeah, and it's not exactly safe to be in there, right? Like it's especially if you're in the lower classes, but you know it's it's yeah. like that they 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 rule you through fear. Like don't go out there; it'll get you. Yeah. Think think uh, that M Night Shyamalan fucking movie, The Village, but oh, yeah. Mega City yeah. One. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I'm also getting I'm also getting um, flavors of Blades in the Dark, um, mm. which also is very similar. You've got a big big city like metropolis city, and if you go outside the the gates the walls of the city then um yeah it's like a ghost ridden wilderness that will you can't survive in so yeah okay cool i like it yeah and that could fit in um that could fit in any of the the kind of the two bigger setting ideas we came up with earlier where we've got mm-hmm. either a um a far future earth you could definitely have like a a pocket of civilization this kind of dystopian metropolis where people are still surviving um yeah or also yeah People living mm-hmm. underground, yeah, fleeing from the aliens. Maybe there's like one big metropolis where most of civilization is um is kept. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Ready for my next one? Go for it. 
Um, now this is this is based on a um, a book I seem to remember reading when I was a teenager, and I have tried to find this book since. I have asked on multiple forums. I've asked on Reddit, like the the big fantasy and sci-fi subreddit. Um, I've never been able to find this book again. So this isn't super original, but it's it's an idea I really like. I really like the idea of, and I did. I do remember reading the first part of a of a of a book series about it. Um, a long, long time ago. I don't remember the details of it, unfortunately. But this is the this is the conceit. It's it's set in the far future when humanity is colonizing our galaxy, mm-hmm. and the idea is that a colony ship lands on a lush alien planet that has all the signs of being able to support humanity. But the problem is, as soon as this ship lands, there's some sort of bacteria in the atmosphere which feeds on metal. And by the time the colonists realizes the, the colonists realize that this is the case, it's too late. Their communication equipment doesn't work. Their ship is basically falling apart, and they can't escape. Um, and you then fast forward hundreds of years in the future. There's been a couple of other colonist ships that have also landed to try and do the same thing, or to try and rescue these these other colonists to figure out what's gone on. They've all become stranded as well, and now the the planet is completely off limits to the outside, like to humanity. They don't go there. They don't try and rescue anyone because you, it's a one way ticket, right? And mm-hmm. there are pockets of humans now living because these were colony ships that landed. Humans have established themselves on this planet, but they weren't they weren't alone. And there are these um, hostile aliens who are the the natural um, you know the natural inhabitants of this planet who don't want the humans to be there. And um, yeah, it's kind of um, that's that's the idea anyway. So you've got this you've got these people who are living in a very um, it's not even quite a medieval society. It's more like a stone age kind of society where they've got weapons made out of um, you know stone and um, you know bone and that sort of thing. Mm. And um, yeah, and they're trying to eke out survival on this planet and trying to establish themselves on this planet. And they 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 have this like oral tradition of the. Um, of how these ships came and brought them, like how they came to this planet, but it's it was so long ago in the past that they don't know, like they don't know that that they actually are a star a, a spacefaring from a spacefaring civilization. Yeah. It's kind of just mythology, like it, part of their mythology. Mm. Yeah, no, that's cool because like you could have, yeah, nah, getting a lot of ideas from that that I like a lot because it would also help explain the reason. You know how players always seem to know more than their characters would, and they. Mm. In a medieval setting, they they know about bacteria, for example. Yeah. Um. Yeah. When you know, obviously that that's a relatively recent human discovery. Yeah. Um. So they're always like, I boil the water to stop, make sure it doesn't fuck me up. But you're like, well, would your character yeah. know to do that? Um. That yeah. this allows for that because you have these modern understanding that is regressed through necessity. Um. Yeah. I, yeah. That's that's cool. I like that a lot. I had a very similar idea, but more fantasy take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll find it because I think the two of them are basically the same idea. Um, mine was Culture X has set up colonies in a faraway, mysterious, and dangerous land, but the ships from home have stopped coming. Left stranded mm. in this new world of dense jungles, hot deserts, and a thousand islands, the settlers need to spread out and make do in a world that sees them as invaders. And what has happened to their home? Could it have something to do with the black ships reported to be seen by fishermen at night? Right? Like you could have this whole 
similar mm. idea basically. But I like the fans. I like your 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 sci-fi, but gone wrong vibe because you could have like like that doesn't mean humanity's not still monitoring them. So there could be legends about those blinking lights in the sky, which are satellites around the uh, around mm. the planet, yeah, which yeah. is trying to yeah. track the humans. Um, perhaps some bene- benevolent godlike beings occasionally do drop supplies down or something or they drop oh, yeah. down um like a rover which is made of composite material so it doesn't get eaten so this rover will come down this gets eaten and then this strange plastic thing observes them or whatever um mm. because they're still being monitored or whatever yeah yeah stuff like that you could have these cool weird things which if you view it from a, a fantasy like because as you say the people aren't really that conscious of the fact that you know they're they're still in this because at least we could say that the travel times between earth and this place are massive so sure. by the time rescue arrived it was a whole new generation anyway yeah. um you could yeah you could definitely have some cool ideas there where it's um yeah, if you're looking at everything from the eye, the eyes of somebody who doesn't have a first-hand knowledge of what came before, mm. um, yeah, and then you've got you've definitely could have like some sort of um, godlike um, presence that's worshipped, which is actually a maybe like an orbital um, research station that's, that's been set up. It's tasked mm. with trying to find the right co- the right type of composite metals that can survive atmospheric entry and survive on the planet below. And they're constant, you know, not constantly, but every now and again, they're, they're sending little drops down to the planet to see, does this, you know, does it survive? Does this mix of, does this new mix of composite materials um, have what it takes to beat the bacterial strain? Mm. They can't afford to bring the bacteria up onto the orbital platform because it'll make the orbital platform <laughs> um, <laughs> disintegrate. So it's like yeah. the only way they can do it is by sending stuff down and seeing if it if it survives. And so far, like this is just such an aggressive type of um, bacteria. Nothing they've sent, um, you know, only biological matter kind of is able to survive. So yeah, anyway. you can have some cool ideas too. Where like they seem to be benevolent. Right, like mm. one time when the village had a bad plague that was going around, um, they sent down a series of of offerings from the from the sky, and oh, yeah, know, it took a few goes, but the fourth one, when drunk, seemed to fix the illness or something, and mm. it just because they sent them antibiotics or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, you could have there, there's cool ideas there. There's some shit you could really run with if you were inventive enough. Um, yeah. And like I said, you could also do the same thing, but fantasy. You know, you've you've sailed across an ocean to the new world, yeah. and the ships stop coming, and you don't know why. You've got no way to get back to the old world. Something horrible could have happened there, but like you're in a new hostile environment, you've got no infrastructure set up. The natives don't like you. <laughs> you know, like you can have this whole this whole interplay between the two. Um, the whole stranded colonization thing is something which. I find yeah. fascinating. I always have, be it sci-fi or fantasy. It's a cool yeah. idea that you're lost yeah. in an alien world and, and you are yeah. the invader. Yeah, that's cool. And the, the cool thing about this as well is that um, you've, we can run any direction we want with what that alien planet looks like. Like we could, it could have some really fucked up scenery. Um, because they're colony ships that landed initially, um, there would have been a lot of biological material on them. So maybe the only thing that the human, that humanity can, that they can consume are, um, you know, earth, 
earth plants that they've brought with them that somehow are able to, you know, maybe if there's a few of them that are able to survive in the soil on this planet. Mm. And so there's like the, the, the entire surface of the planet, like nothing is edible. Like you, you stray too far from your, your, like your base of civilization. You're completely on your own. You can't, you can't chop down, you know, the, the local plant life and eat it because it's, it's inedible. You can't kill the local um, animals and eat and cook them and eat them because they're inedible. They're, you know, mm. it's a completely alien planet. And I think, um, yeah, that, that ticks that, you know, um, um, aggressive environment theme yeah. that we came up with, like, really, really well. There. Yeah, you could, they could, you could say that they've got these, like, sort of glass houses they've set up with the remnants of the ships because they would have been composite materials involved in the construction. And they repurpose those into, like, these green room style things uh, where they grow food probably u- using human waste and stuff as fertilizer and um they, they manage to grow this food but as you say they suffer perhaps the civilizations turn to cannibalism as well when people die mm-hmm. that's yeah. a valuable resource you need yeah. their bones sure. to make weapons yeah. you need their meat to feed people like yeah. it might even be like if you want to get really archaic there might be a system where you know every so often you have people they reach into like a lottery and yeah. the loser has to give tribute to the community so a family member yeah. could be yeah. an old person that can be one too many children or either is donated to feed the community some protein because they need iron because we're on this faraway yeah. planet and yeah yeah and maybe you've been there so long that the environment has had a change on humanity maybe the gravity is slightly different or because of the oh, chemical yeah. composition yeah. of the so yeah. so if humans ever did make it down they'd seem alien in themselves they'd be this mm. yeah and they might see yeah. us as alien yeah there's some cool shit there man there's some cool shit all right we want to move on yep your turn okay this next one's my fucking favorite all right <laughs> full disclosure biased as fuck biased as absolute fuck i've actually put time into this for a a campaign i was thinking of running for a while just using like a d100 system and um i ended up stopping it uh because i I didn't have time and players weren't available whatever um anyway because because i've put some preparations to this i've actually researched it so i'll explain after i read it out for whatever reason the world's spin has slowed massively, resulting in drastic changes to seasons and environment. The equator is a barren desert, while the poles are under vast, stagnant, often frozen oceans. Days last weeks, by our concept of time, where the sun bears down relentlessly upon all, and nights are weeks, and a night is weeks of frozen darkness. Humanity struggles in a world where the day is extremely arduous to move through, and the night is the domain of monsters that stalk the dark and (laughs) everyone tries to scratch a living from the more forgiving twilight in between where dusk and dawn last days in a purple haze now (laughs) i've done a lot of research as to what would happen if the world was to slow down right and we'd see our oceans drain towards the poles because the world isn't uh is like an oblique spheroid spheroid right so mm-hmm. all of the water would drain if the world's slowing then currents air currents and things so they stop or they slow down so weather lasts months or years instead of coming and going in a day or two it would sit for long periods of time um mm. if there was no night for like you know, many days at a time, that sun would end up killing heaps of plants. You'd have droughts during the day, and then at nighttime, everything would freeze, right? Like, um, it would, mm. yeah, it's, and yet the water, because because the lack of currents 
oceans and stuff would stagnate and they'd get quite toxic. Their, their alkaline would increase because of all the algae in them because they're not circulating as well as they do because of the spin of the earth. Like, the world becomes an unbelievably barren place. Now, this doesn't have to be earth. It could be your alien world that you've landed on. It could mm. be whatever. You know, and it creates this narrow band where it's a, there's a survivable patch on either side of the equator, and the equator is too dry and arid. And then the poles is too wet and frozen. And in the middle, you've just got, like I said, these little bands. But, you know, because you're surviving, you sometimes have the expedition into that desert to go get stuff from cities on the equator. Or you have to go struggle into the thing. And what I like about this as a campaign setting from a gameplay perspective is that night is effectively a season. You have darkness where the mechanics almost change. You know, everything's colder, you can't see as far, whatever. In my mind, I'm envisioning, like, petrified forests, where whole forests where the trees have turned to, like, you know, almost stone because they're petrified. Mm. Um, in the day, it's hot, it's it's hard, you, you go through water quicker, um, the sun just bears down, it's really hard for you to sleep, but you can see better and things like that. And then you've got dusk, which is, like, your middle ground. So if mm. you think of, like... Where normally games might, like Forbidden Lands, might have rules for winter, spring, and whatever, you can have that where it's a day, dusk, night, dawn cycle, right? And you go through this um, in a way where, like, you know, you have to plan your expeditions and stuff out because you're going to get so far before dusk comes along or before night hits. And then at night, the nocturnal creatures come out, whatever. Um, I mm. like it because it's completely fucking alien. <laughs> you know, especially if it's in our own ruins of our own civilization. Anyway, no, it's, it sounds very cool. It's it remind it makes me think of um, the far north of Scandinavia when you know, right now in the heart of winter, they've got you know no sunlight, or like Alaska, or mm. I guess down your way. If I don't know if um, I nah, don't it think doesn't the here. tips of New ourselves. Zealand, but like I think Tasmania, maybe in Australia, has a little bit of it. No, nah, Tasmania is further north than than we are. Um, we're not okay. far enough south to have like we do have okay. a big difference of like yeah. multiple hours more sunlight in summer, but we still get at least sort of eight hours sun in winter. So okay, all yeah. right. But so, but yeah, then then what I'm then like kind of the more northern hemisphere mm, things like mm. um, Alaska and northern northern parts of of Scandinavia where, um, yeah, they'll go they'll go weeks without having any sun and um but that's like on a that's like on a constant basis i, I like that i like the idea a lot um it's very cool um and yeah we could we could port that into any any kind of setting thing that could be that could be something has happened to the earth where this the spin is slowed down so we use our own our own geography kind of mm. um or it could be a fantasy world where that's just how things work it also reminds yeah. makes me think of um, a song of ice and fire because i think Although that has um, standard day night cycles, the the idea in that world is that um, this these periods of summer and winter um, are last for decades, right? So you have like whatever 10, 20 years of of summer, 10, 20 years of winter, and that's due to how the um, that planet in that in that fantasy world is is kind of um, how Martin has set that up. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Definitely, and I like yeah. the idea that there you've got this this small period of of um, productivity on either side of of the like the long days and the long nights in the twilight. That's mm. uh, very cool. Yeah, and like it's a it's a much like it's actually a sped up 
idea of the seasons, right? Like you will have like a hot sure. bearing, like sunny period for two, three weeks. Okay. And then you have a period of a couple of like a week or so of this dusk. And then it goes into night. Um, when I originally was coming up with the campaign I was going to do, I never got past the planning stage, but I had set it in Europe and Germany, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Albeit much like far, 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 far into the future after this had happened. Um, so the party was going to start in like a little isolated village out in this quite cold, frozen wilderness and surrounded by a petrified forest. And if they ventured out, they'd discover like a metropolis full of people who are like relying on savage means to survive cannibalism and all sorts of slavery, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like this whole, you know, like post-apocalyptic, but instead of it just being post-nuclear or whatever, it's this world which just very slowly turns and people go on expeditions to go and reclaim lost technology out in the acidic oceans or they go into the dry, you know, um, like belt around the world um, to go and get stuff from, from there. And mm. yeah, it was... Because um, you can find maps on what would happen if the world stopped spinning. People have done mm. them. Um, okay. So it's it's cool to look at. It's cool to be like, right, the, the sea, the, the beach would be halfway through Germany. That is the, mm. the edge of the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah. Shit like that. It was um, it was cool. And like, like I yeah. said, you could apply it to any fantasy setting. You could apply it to an alien world. They might have arrived and yeah. the world was already like that. Um, yeah. And it's just a concept I like. I like this idea of like you're planning a journey and you know that half of it is going to be freezing cold. The other half is going to be hot. And in the middle, you're going to have a sweet spot. And you're trying to plan your stuff around that, especially if you include survival mechanics, um, which I think we will. You know, then suddenly it has a much more impact. You, you're p- now planning for those things because the clothing you wear for the night section, maybe you decide that for that night section, you're going to find somewhere to hold up and you're going to mm. just, you know, or you wear lots of thick clothes and then you find somewhere safe for daytime and just avoid the sun for two weeks. All sorts of things you can do. Um, and mm. then if the weather comes in, it's going to stay for a long period of time because it moves very slowly. You might have a, a storm yeah. front roll over and it's going to last for weeks, weeks and weeks, you know. It's, yeah, it's a concept which has stuck with me for like the last four years or so and it's always been in the back of my mind. It's like, fuck, why, why hasn't anyone done that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's enough gushing. That's enough bias <laughs> from me. What's your next idea, Matt? This is my last uh, setting pitch. Um, it's I've called it Resistance and it's, Basically, um, you kind of touched on it at the beginning. It's looking at um, resistance from a foreign invader. And I'm looking, I kind of used the um, the Americas, North America, mm-hmm. around the time of Columbus as inspiration. Um, but using it from a kind of fantasy perspective. So there's a faction of technologically superior humans as antagonists. They are cruel and exploitative invaders intent on subjugating the existing people on this new continent, whom they see as their racial inferiors. Now, they could be, they, these could be other humans. They could be a completely different race. Um, yeah. Players play the local population who are using their knowledge of the land to withstand and push back against this foreign invasion. So I've written, it's an allegory of Aboriginal suppression told through a fantasy lens from the perspective of the local population. So, yeah, I know you've got, I, the, mm-hmm. and the, the things that were coming to me when I was thinking of this, um, I have to admit, um, as I was writing it, I, I, um, I, my brain went to the new um, 
six more vodka setting that they've been working on, Orkin, which is effectively you playing orcs who are look like they're themed also on Native Americans yeah. who have been invaded by these humans who are technologically superior. So the, the orcs have this kind of more um, tribal culture and the humans are very much like medieval humans with, you know, they've got armor and they've got swords and they've got big ships and everything else. Um, and you play the orcs in this in this setting. And that came to me as I was writing it. I was like, okay, well, this actually is kind of being worked on right now. What I will say, though, is if we yeah. were to do a similar theme, I think it's important that we make sure the aboriginals are the humans simply because implying okay. a native culture as orcs is problematic as fuck yeah yeah <laughs> i say yeah. this as someone because I, I don't like like i say this as someone who has seen a maori orcs team for um blood bowl as a fan-made faction and found it really fucking insulting <laughs> that, mm. that you think my people were like that i was like that's really it's on the nose a wee bit that's right there on the nose um yeah so i think it's important that if we do that it, like if we want to really get that message across of this isn't a cultural invasion that the normal is yeah. is the is what the players are experiencing so they don't feel like an you know you know what i mean yeah, I know, you know. yeah but if you take it if you take it um let's look at the native americans when columbus and his people landed um the Native Americans, I mean, they may as well have been aliens, right? They looked, I mean, they're they're both both races of, of humans, right? So mm -hmm. they would have looked the same, just the skin color would have been different, and they would have, I mean, they really, technology was yeah. so different. What I'm saying that is, this could though, that, be, that the goes idea both could be ways, taken. Right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But the point is, I guess, is you could take this idea and plug it into one of the previous things we were talking about with um, oh, yeah. even like Definitely. the alien, like alien terraforming, for example. Maybe they could look a little bit more like like us. Um, and we're the ones who are, they're a technologically superior invading force and we're the ones fighting back. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, you know, people on the same planet, um, or even the same yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I completely agree. I think that if you want to tell it from the lens of the locals, like the, mm. the, the, you, it's important that they are seen to be the normal and the invaders, sure, are, sure. Are the, yep. which, which you. is the issue I, I see with the, the Genesis one is it implies you're playing the orcs, right? Is yeah. the implication I got from all the stuff I've seen so far. Yet the yeah. orcs are, are the harder of the two for us to relate to. You're more likely to relate to the invader, which yeah. I think is a bit. Anyway, we're going off topic. <laughs> I, I like the concept. I like the concept a lot. Um, I quite often when I'm when we're playing uh, Simbaroom, I often try and relate with the barbarians because being Maori again. I, I kind of do relate to them. <laughs> this, yeah. this, 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 like more, you know, civilized quote unquote race turning up um, and subjecting yeah. themselves upon you is something which I can definitely relate to. And I think it's a good way to experience that. If you want to like sort of send a message or allow the players to experience a cathartic take on what it might be like and see something from a different perspective, um, if done well, it's awesome. I, I like the concept a lot. Um, is this one that you sort of have to be careful with? Sure. Because yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that, I mean, that's something we would we would be very careful with. Um, mm. And yeah. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So that's that. Those are my. That's me finished with my setting pitches. Have you got? Um, how many more gimmicks have you got? Um, I have a couple more. 
Um, right. We've already discussed one of them, Colony X, to set up colonies on faraway land, Left Stranded. We already dis- well, that's it, actually. That's a me done um, okay. of the ones cool. I wrote down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the basic sort of broader things. And then I've got a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. Central conflicts, is, right? Yeah. Your central conflicts, which, yeah. So do we, I think we should probably maybe make a decision on the, the kind of the gimmick mm-hmm. or the, the kind of setting idea that we want to go with. And then sure. we can, when we do the conflicts, we can kind of focus them really on what we've, what we've decided on. So what's, what's jumping out at you out of what we've talked about. And while we're talking, um, by the way, people who are um, listening live on um, discord, feel free to let us know what you, th- what you think so mm. far. Please do please. Um, yeah. That, that would be, that'd be handy. Um, I like a few of the ideas actually. I like, I like all of them. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, it's just how, how we put them together. Um, we, we also have to be careful that we're not um, throwing the kitchen sink at, at this thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, obviously, you know my favorite of my pictures. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's, it's not necessarily like the main thing. I think it's just like a color detail to one of the others if we were to use it. I would it. agree. Yeah. So um like it's it's the environment that you might have on your alien world. Or maybe the world stops spinning because of these alien invaders that you talk about, right? Mm. These terraforming things have turned up and they're slowing the world down because it's easier to harvest whatever oh, yeah. they want to harvest when it's not spinning. Maybe. Um maybe that makes living underground easier as well because the you know the changes the changes to the temperature, um, the sun beating down is not is not such a big thing when you're underground. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So both of those work. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why you couldn't be living underground on the alien planet planet that you landed on either. <laughs> but like the the broad concept, I think I can I can see those all working together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also. I mean, it also works with the idea of this post-apocalyptic far in the future advanced technology on a world which is spun like i, I think it works with basically all the concepts we've yeah. come up with yeah yeah um yeah. so yeah it's kind of deciding which <laughs> which we like most of these things what, what what are your thoughts do you have any that immediately jump out um i think i think rule it, if we kind of work backwards and rule out the ones that aren't maybe as um like compelling i think for me the more dying earth um is probably the least compelling out of out of the ones we've talked around Mm -hmm. for me i think um yeah i don't know i don't know how you feel it's been done a bit more um it's a ground that's already been tread a few times for me of my ideas the ice age one is the least compelling because everything about the ice age one can apply to the the slowed down earth Mm. Um, yeah. so scrap, scrap that, um, put a big X after it actually. All right. So yeah. Um, and yours was the, the dying earth one. You're not too keen on the second one. Yeah. The far, far future one, I think is what I've written down. Hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. I'm kind of, uh, I don't know. I, for me, I, I I like the I like the I mean these are these are kind of setting things I've I've very much come up with, but I'm I'm happy to kind of change them a lot. But um, 
this idea of, of like a colony ship landing on a on an alien planet um i really uh, it's just something i've i i remember it's something that's been with me for probably the last 10 years or so since i've remembered it and have been trying to find this this book and have never never found it um yeah this this idea that you know it's far far in the future we've we've come a long way yet humanity is there's a, a pocket of people who've just been stuck on this on this planet um I don't know. That's that for me is quite interesting. I like it a lot, although I think from the perspective of a games master, when it comes to introducing your your conflicts and cultures, how would you do that? Like, cause do mm. do they interact with the alien cultures? Is there alien cultures that they can trade with? Because yeah, I'm thinking from role playing opportunities, that, yeah. right? Like, um. It would be like the Genesis, I would I would see. The yeah, Genesis that's, that's has what this, I keep seeing. All all the factions and all the interplay is going to be between the various human cultures, and you know there'll be. That's why I was saying like maybe multiple colony ships have have come down over mm. time, and each of them have been stranded. Well, maybe each one that's come down, like in Coriolis, you've got the first come and you've got the Zenithians. Maybe they don't mix so well, and um, therefore you've got these like different pockets of people in different parts of the planet who are. Um, surviving in their own way and they don't they don't make there's trade that has to go on for survival but other than that they don't like they don't mix at all yeah um, yeah no, i definitely I got a um i got Jesus but it would, feel it, as well. it would very it would be very human human centric and is kind of how i how i perceived it i did i can't i didn't perceive there as being really um aliens that you could communicate with mm. at least not in a traditional sense okay but there'd, there'd be you'd have like human cities and stuff right because I'm just thinking from for yeah. role play opportunities. Yeah, yeah okay. and it, the, I mean, that's the other thing that doesn't really work with it so well. If we're talking about survival and exploration, there exploration wouldn't really necessarily be needed so much because there wouldn't be like um, ancient um, civilizations. I mean, I guess there could be ancient alien civilizations. Maybe there was an ancient alien civilization that was there um, in the past, maybe before the yeah. planet slowed down, right? And they had they had made all these alien like cities and stuff. And then once the planet had slowed down, um, if we if we go with your your um slowed spinning planet theory, mm -hmm. then um maybe those those aliens had were forced to leave. And so there are these like uh, there are, maybe there's some like ancient a different ancient alien technology uh civilization sorry that has left some technology behind. And that maybe that technology is extra valuable because these yeah. aliens grew up in a in a world where you couldn't have metal, so they found mm. other technological ways to bridge to get, to solve problems that we rely upon yeah. human tech like because human technology is very heavily reliant on alloys and metals and things, although that is becoming yeah. less common. But um, yeah, you could you could turn around and and say that so there, there's potential there, and that alien technology mm. could almost seem magical to the people experiencing it they yeah. don't know how to work it they're having to figure it out um yeah it's i definitely got a, like as soon as you start explaining it i had in my head images from the genesis and stuff um yeah. so yeah i can definitely see a bit of that um i mean the the, the race on the earth we don't necessarily even know to need to know if they left they're just gone there's ruins from yeah. where yeah. they were and um like Perhaps oh, they could have they could have died off or something too. They could have been a yeah, plague or something. Yeah, they could have evolved. Yeah. Maybe this hostile alien race uh, is the yeah. remnants of this old civilization which gave up their living in cities because of everything that happened and 
they're like mm. a completely degenerate version of them past selves for all we know um yeah. turned savage and bloodthirsty and not appreciative of these invaders because because of the, the lack of spin let's say there's a very narrow area that you can live in and now that real estate is being taken by these invaders um yeah that's an idea yeah. um yeah yeah okay 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 so that's that's quite sci i mean even though it would feel like you know um kind of fantasy in the fact that the people the the civilizations and the the people would be um you know very technologically inferior to what we even to today's standards um it is it would still be a bit of a kind of sci science fantasy game um or setting the the other so let's talk about the other the other idea i had then which is um think of it like the old world with aliens who have who have invaded and are slowly terraforming um what are your thoughts on that one i mean i like that one too i like that one a lot i like the image of like everyone living below ground effectively being ants and mm. large creatures which for could be like this world's equivalent of a terrasque are wandering around um, perhaps because they're a biological form of terraforming, right? Like as they eat biological matter, yeah, we all know how like cows fart methane, right? And it creates, it creates mm -hmm. um, global warming or it contributes mm -hmm. to it. Um, perhaps that this is a bigger version of that <laughs> that the aliens have <laughs> dropped um, as part of their whole, yeah, like they're, they're relying on these biological constructs to terraform the planet so there's all these creatures roaming the planet which are eating the plant matter um they're they're perhaps burrowing through mountains um and then occasionally like you get these more you know perhaps humanoid or more identifiably civilized aliens coming down um you know and getting involved if they have to so there's this whole mysterious like otherness mm. this other cast um and humanity's trying to survive in these underground ghettos um and and it's it's very survival oriented and as and as yeah. you know as we say there's these these dark horrors which are sent down the tunnels to clear them out if they're in the way or you know like if there's a you can almost have like um you know your zone map from mutant you could almost do it like that and you've got your mm. place where you you live and then yeah. as you go out and you do things um like, like with these aliens perhaps you go out and uh an alien has set up a nest in a place that's got a resource you need as you clean that nest out the aliens who are monitoring the whole thing from above go okay that colony now has become a pest will drop a couple of these creatures into their tunnels and, you know, <laughs> the the space ferrets come in and try and tear apart your your people. You could have these these weird things going on, which I think are pretty cool. Um Yeah. 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 Because like why would you bother with this big whole process of invading and subjugating a peoples because you're not thinking about them. They're just a pest. You look at them the same way we look at ants. That's how I imagine it. You know, yeah, yeah, we, we have yeah. ways to commit yeah. genocide to ants, but we're not going around killing all the ants. Because that's the first question people are going to ask is, why don't the aliens just come and wipe out all the races? Well, because the same way we don't go around wiping out all the ants or the termites, because if you do the the uh, the 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 ecology is ruined or something. They're just mm. a small, inconsequential thing which you deal with as you have to. 
but there's bigger yeah. things you have to take care of. And I think that's cool. And again, I think it's applicable with a lot of the other more environmental setting ideas we come up with as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can have these these cool things um, where you've got these civilizations which are buried underground and perhaps that one is buried under under a place which freezes over at nighttime completely and they can't get out because they normally go through like water to get out of their tunnels. So they're only allowed out during the day. They can't get out at night or whatever and things like that. You've got these cool ideas you can incorporate into your, your setting. Well, this one as well, it would, there would be, um, there would have been a, like the world would have been completely populated before the aliens arrived and mm-hmm. that would have all been abandoned. So there would still be, you know, um, the kind of ruins of, of the previous civilization dotted around the planet. Um, and there'd still be people living on the surface as well. Like it's not all underground, right? You could still have people sure. trying yeah. to survive, think, but they're struggling yeah. in the process. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's where if we go this route, then we can kind of maybe that's one of the things we have to think about is like how extreme would the terraforming be? Maybe it's not terraforming. Maybe they're um, extracting resources from this planet that they need, um, you know, for their spacefaring civilization. Um, You know, so they're just literally just strip mining the planet of some resource or like water or I I don't know, something. Um, And yeah. And therefore like you could still survive on the surface, but you know, they've slowed the, because because they've slowed the um the spin down for whatever reason that they need to do that um you know it, it's made it really hard to live on the surface that's why they've that people have moved underground mm. or maybe they've done a little bit of terraforming so these these um creatures can actually like breathe the atmosphere um it's still tolerable everything still works just like before it's just it, there's a strange smell in the air because there's a higher degree of methane or you know, well, that, that could be why they slow down the spin, right? When you slow the spin yeah. of the earth, the water currents stop moving so much, and as a result, the water gets more alkaline. And what happens when that happens is all the bacteria dies. Now, a lot of the stuff in the oceans is what keeps our air breathable on, on, on earth, okay. right? So perhaps that's why they slowed it down, because they wanted to harvest the alkaline material from the oceans, but also create, and in the process, created a, a more toxic environment. But that toxic environment also feeds into this water thing. So they've put these big, massive aliens down, which go around eating forests and stuff. And then, you know, the, their, their, um, their outgoings <laughs> create this this higher methane environment which then feeds into this more alkaline ocean or something i don't know you could find a way around it to describe yeah, yeah, it yeah um so there's lots of yeah but you don't really need to because the thing is the players from their perspective wouldn't understand the why you know <laughs> mm. like you just say this stuff has happened um and we don't know why but this is what's happening and if someone wants to do a deep dive into why the why, is it why they're doing it? That's fine. But you don't need to explain it because from the player's perspective, you know, 10 generations ago, we lived on the surface. Now we live underground and the surface mm. is a hellhole. And yeah, we're doing what we can to survive, what we must to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't really need the why. Yes. Yeah. Like, no. No, yeah. no, absolutely. And we could leave it vague too. It doesn't, I mean, it could be up to the GM to put the kind of final details on, um, you know, exactly what's happened. But yeah, having a bit of mystery there would be quite good. Mm. Um, okay. What have you, have you, are you kind of leaning more towards one than another? I like both a lot, eh? <laughs> I really do. I like both of them a lot. Um, I think they share enough 
Okay, I'm going to get a bit wild here. I think they share enough similarities that if we were to come up for a rule system for one, it could work as a rule system for the other. But okay. <laughs> we do need, obviously, to choose one or the other. Um, so, okay, what, what what do we know that we're going to use? What, what, what are we definitely going to use? I th okay, I think that maybe the the one that we've just been talking about with aliens on a on a you know on the surface and people all living underground i think that might be the better one to start with because it might have a little bit more of a familiar feel to it if we've mm. got some familiar fantasy races um and then we just kind of turn the rest of the world on its head um rather than the far future one where it's just humanity um yeah cuz i think that might appeal to a broader base of people yeah as well. it's got more um more in common and we can describe it from the fantasy perspective so they're not aliens they're monsters and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you're describing exactly. it from the perspective of exactly. medieval peoples so they're monsters and demons they're not aliens yeah. we know as a, yeah. on a meta level that they're aliens but from the perspective yeah. of the player characters they're monsters absolutely yeah absolutely and um that's yeah. that's more familiar like you say that was one thing i was a bit worried about with the as you say the advanced human one is that apart from the humans there's not a lot there which is familiar to the players so it's a bit more mm. intimidating whereas in this one it's the same but you know the most people are living underground there's very very small like communities like you know like villages up on the surface who have found some shelter to avoid what's going on but they are struggling um the yeah. vast majority of people live underground perhaps the ones which are on the surface as a result of living in this terraformed environment are themselves becoming changed so you can introduce another mm. another race which is reminiscent of another fantasy race perhaps um mm -hmm. And you can yeah, have... like the elves would be a good example because I can't like if you think about, if, I mean, if we're going with kind of traditional Tolkien races, you wouldn't imagine like Warhammer elves, the wood elves, to agree to live underground, right? Mm. So have they completely died off? Well, maybe everyone thinks they have, but there's pockets of them that have survived, but they've also been changed and they've gone nomadic and and feral in the process, <laughs> as a as a form of of survival. They're more like um some maroon elves, perhaps. Um, yeah. yeah yeah or instead of going tolkien races do we go maybe folkloric so sure similar sure. Yeah. but different you know um yeah 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 so I mean, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be based on the tolkien races at all really but i was just that's my my brain originally went with the kind of warhammer um mm. old world and kind of yeah went alternate alternate um end times kind of scenario yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's cool okay yeah, no, I like that one a lot. I like the idea of this whole, you know, because you could do the whole um, torchbearer thing where light matters, how you survive mm. in these environments matters. Um, yeah, as you say, underground, that's protection from the sun and the freezing cold. It's easier to mm. manage. And then you go out there. I'm assuming, uh, are we going to do the whole slow earth thing? Is that a gimmick we want to go with? Um, I think it would be quite... I mean, we wouldn't necessarily want to use it in both if we if we are eventually thinking about doing both of no, these settings. One of it doesn't them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um I think it could fit in either one. Um like this one that definitely fits the theme of terraforming aliens and they're they're making massive changes to the planet. That could be one of the changes. And mm. it yeah, it also fits really well with people having to like you you kind of have to live underground because it's just so much easier when the surface is going through these massive like freezing and and super hot yeah. phases 
Yeah, and then um, the, the, the exceptions you find is like when you're on the wilderness, you find the remnants of an old castle uh, where some rich guy and his servants all hold up and somehow there's a community still there. They're struggling, but they, they lived because they were inside this fortification, which most mm. people didn't have. Mm. Um, and they've got this weird culture. They've turned cannibalistic or whatever. You've got these cool little... Yeah. like it's, it's a way that you, you, can, you could justify how people were able to circumvent this big thing that is the primary yeah. driver, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I like that concept. You know, people are below ground, above ground, the days stretched, the nights stretched, um, seasons come yeah. and go quickly, and as a result, you've got dark season, light season. Because you wouldn't call them days or nights anymore, would you? You'd call them... Well, no, this this would have this would have changed. Like they would have mm. slowed the planet down hundreds of years ago. So f this is this is the reality that people just. It's been like this for as long as people can remember, right? Yeah. It's just how things work. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, okay, yeah. I like it. It's real cool. All right, all right, okay, yeah, I'm I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Okay. All right, so okay, so we've kind of settled on that. I think I, I feel really happy with that as well. I think that's feels like the right way to go. Um, let's talk about central conflicts then, um, the kind of tail end of the show then. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've written a few down. I know you've, you've mentioned a couple already. Yeah. And a few of them don't work with this concept. So that's fine. Yeah. I'll skip over okay. the ones that don't work, but, um, I've got one here. It's the first one I wrote down and I think it could work on a smaller mm -hmm. scale for like, um, what's going on. Um, we could say that there's like a big under ground metropolis that's the combination of the different races as they've tried to survive um and yeah, yeah here we go so i'll read out what i've written down civilization has been beholden to a ruler for time immemorial whether through magical science this ruler has ruled an empire with an iron fist for generations before giving a series of instructions and then retired to go work on something they never returned. Mm. After a long period of time, people went to check and found the ruler dead slash missing. This was kept secret for some time to maintain stability, but word is getting out. People are maneuvering to position to take over power for all their freedom. The empire is a pressure cooker and it's about to blow. Will a lawful dictatorship be preferable to the chaos of freedom? Right? Mm -hmm. So... Basically, what I was thinking about was Sigma, right? Who built this empire, yeah. then fucked off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what if when he fucked off, everyone's like, well, he's gone. Now's my time to be boss. But let's say he was a dictator at the same time. So you could have this underground empire, perhaps the remnants of the Dwarven Empire. They're a dying race. Humanity moved in. Goblins moved in. And they set up this big empire. And somebody, through some power, was able to keep control of what was going on. But as the terraforming mm. got more extreme... Um, as survival got more and more difficult, this person's sort of checked out and then people went looking and realized they're gone. The ruler is gone. These various communities, which have sort of been working together out of necessity, but also through an iron fist are now like, hold on. What, you know, maybe we can start worrying Power about vacuum. ourselves. We've yeah. got, uh, we, we've got the water. Why do we need to yeah. share it with everyone else? Yeah. We've got, you know, like, you know, our yeah. waters, uh, prices have gone up three times now. You want our shit. Once upon a time, we had to give yeah. it this tribute. Now we don't need to give this tribute. You know, maybe the generals yeah. of the armies are, are trying to sort out their regional armies and do a coup. There's a lot of politics here that you can have going on, mm. and I think it, given this forced integration of people underground, it could really work. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's a good conflict we could introduce. Definitely. Cool. Yep. 
they say yeah. one of your ideas. Um, okay, some of mine are quite vague. Um, that one was a bit more specific. Um, first one I've written down is internal factions plotting for power during a crisis. Both firmly believe they are in the right and should lead. Players are forced to take sides. Which will which way will they go, and will this lead to profit or exile? It kind of just ties into what you just talked around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think we could just we could just subsume that into what you were talking around. It kind of fits. Let me just bring another one up then. Um, okay. Faction a faction wishes to study an external threat, but must do so in secret as it is forbidden. Will the players aid, stop, or ignore them? So this was thinking along the lines of um, if we use the setting we just talked around. Um, somebody's actually wanting to, yeah, not, 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 um, fight back against the aliens, but actually study them or, mm-hmm. um, maybe try and maybe and try and communicate with them and try and bargain with them or something. And, you know, the idea of doing that is completely forbidden. Um, so, but you know, the yeah. implication, the implications could be quite, could be quite ex- like they could be, they could, they could really change the quality of life for everybody if uh, if things mm. could work out maybe so they worship them right maybe they yeah. maybe there's yeah. some people who worship them and these people are like hold on nah they're not actually aliens yeah they're not mm. actually these gods they could just be you know things like us like I, I think the stuff that you're saying could work with the whole broader power vacuum idea um yeah my next idea could also work with it as well um Metropolitan cities ran by foul dictators. This sort of goes with my other metropolitan idea. Uh, metropolitan cities ran by foul dictators tax the surrounding countryside for what little they have. And people, and what I was implying here is people in the countryside, suffer and toil. But the life of adventure is the life of freedom. Will you fight for your village and or enjoy your freedom or turn coat and line your pockets out of greed as you turn upon your own? That... Mm. yeah i mean that could work it could not whatever um it was more the idea of like there are people taking you know like it's the fewer benefiting off the many is the idea here and players could exploit that they could profit in that scenario they could you know turn against it and fight against it there's all sorts of things but that could apply to any of the other ideas we've discussed as well that could be a you know Mm. um Mm. especially if we're looking at this idea of a big empire which is fractured each of those little fr- fractured factions could be doing some of these things we're discussing here. So, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. My next conflict doesn't really apply in this situation, so let's move to the next one. There is some precious substance of great value or vital for survival in the dangerous wilderness, which would be on the surface. Only the bravest harvest it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a reason. There's a reason that you need to go out onto the surface and. Um, and that it's could apply either, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a few here I need to skip. One of them, for example, is Frontier, the classic fantasy setting, Lawless Frontier, every man for themselves, la, 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 la. That doesn't really apply if we're living underground mm. so much. Um, isolation in a rugged environment are the primary threats. Outside is the great unknown, but the wilderness is deadly. Survive and prosper or struggle and perish basically what we're already going with yeah <laughs> um i've got one here um i don't know if it works so much um everlasting war not the 40k there is only war style 
but more like Afghanistan, where for generations, invader after invader has rolled through. They bring peace slash rule slash law to your peoples, only to roll back with the next invader. Amongst the chaos, people scratch a living and adventure prospers. I don't know if that works either, to be honest. Could do, but... It could be... That could be something to do with the... Maybe like the goblins or something. Um... Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe um, because you've got like this, like we're talking about this vast, yeah, yeah typical dwarven underground empire, but dwarves mm. are dying and they're leaving empty holds, right? And then the mm. goblins sort of moved in, yeah, and then the goblins have been there and they were fighting the dwarfs and stuff, and then the aliens turned up and the humans ran in. So the, the goblins have sort of never had a home to call their own. They're just trying to survive, and everyone else is around them, using them as slave labor. There maybe that's the sort of thing, right? Like it could be their angle. They're the undertrodden underclass of this, of this setting. Yeah, and- maybe maybe the the humans couldn't afford because they've been they've been they'd been wiped out when they were forced underground, and they couldn't afford to be fighting underground with a like in the taking over the the dwarf goblin wars, yeah. and they brokered a peace between the two. But neither of them really wanted it. So you've got these ancient resentments between the dwarves and the goblins, and vice versa. Mm. Um, but it's but they've you know for for hundreds of years now they've been they've been sort of peacefully co- coexisting, albeit I guess the in my head the goblins would be the kind of um, the like lowest caste of of society. Mm. They're the ones doing the really shitty jobs. They're the ones in the kind of harvesting mushroom farms and, um, yeah. you know. And perhaps on the surface there's been proxy wars happening. Like when they're up and their patrols run into each other, suddenly the goblins oh, are like, yeah. here's a yeah. chance to fucking get the dwarves or vice versa. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, like the politics, let's say we're going with that, like just as, as a thought experiment right now, let's say we use that whole power vacuum thing we're discussing. Mm. And that's what's kept this peace between dwarves, Ooh goblins yeah. humans and now that power vacuum's fallen and now suddenly that need to keep this piece is going and people have adjusted to their environments a bit there's and, and for a long time for hundreds of years there's been this proxy war happening on the surface when the patrols run into each other and now that proxy mm. war sneaking underground and the politics underground is set to explode between the races um mm. And it's it's definitely open warfare on the surface around the aliens and monsters yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think that could work. Because mm. that kind of works. So I've got my next idea here, which I'll quickly read. Cold War. Mm-hmm. City states and empires are in a tense peace, not wanting to allow their neighbors to get ahead. They plot and scheme, but to avert all-out war, they use freelancers and contractors. Intrigue, plots, and politics reign. That could work in that scenario. Right, like the uh, your party, because they don't want to have dwarfs being seen to attack. Um, like say on the surface during the dusk periods, goblins have a farm set up where they go up and they farm a particular type of wood, which is valuable to the people below. And the dwarfs mm. want to put a stop to it. Like this dwarven lord is like, I want to stop that, but I don't want to be seen to be dwarfs. So they hire a bunch of humans to do it or whatever, or they hire the party to go and just be freelancers. You could have these conflicts hmm. happening hmm yeah um b pluck in discord has just uh, come up with a suggestion which yeah, i quite like which is one. that the the humans have allied with the goblins to take over the uh the dwarven halls when they were forced underground um 
so now the dwarves are running a guerrilla war to take back their old kingdom. So, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe um, the um, maybe the dwarves headed like maybe you had dwarves that stayed like you know they they were subjugated and they stayed as an underclass living amongst yeah, the humans and yeah. goblins. But then you had some that dug deeper, right? The classic they dug too yeah. deep story. They yeah. dug deeper to get away, and they they're now coming back, like but changed. Yeah. They're no yeah. longer the dwarfs yeah. we know. They're these monstrous creatures like coming that. back. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. All right, all right. We have yeah. to call that race the B plucks. <laughs> yeah. There's still there's still dwarves who are part of um the kind of status quo, right? Mm. So um yeah, it's just that the, yeah, a faction of dwarves were not uh, not at all happy with being subjugated by the goblins and they've they refused to bend the knee. Yeah. Okay. Um my next one, I've written something it's basically the same thing. Guerrilla warf I've written guerrilla warfare against an occupying force with factions competing with each other for prestige and not forgetting old feuds. It's basically what we've just talked around. Um, let me read my last conflict then. Um, Clinging to the memories of the past is no longer important to the ruling powers. The players are beseeched to find and secure a safe place for a cabal of refugee wizards to continue their arcane studies in safety. Silly demands abound. <laughs> that could be a plot for a, a story within yeah, that city. Yeah, sounds more than a kind of central conflict, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, cool, though. I guess the central conflict there is that um, clinging to the memories of the past is kind of nobody wants, like, that's not really done anymore. Well, they, they could, are we going to have magic in the city? Um, oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a question, isn't it? Um, I guess these are things that. that to thrash out really let's say we um, are hypothetically let's say we are but the re you know how traditionally if we're to stick to the tropes dwarves don't use magic right we could say that for that in this particular setting is that there's certain ley lines on the surface which you have to channel into to use magic now that everyone's below ground they can't do that if you want to gain access to magic you have to go to the surface and channel it but these ley lines are in the, have been partially destroyed by the invaders Right, so it's even harder and rarer to gather. So it might not be like a, a player-available resource, but there are people out there which can channel this energy that they use for things, um, and that's part of why you need to go to the surface, maybe. Oh, maybe maybe the way the magic worked, it was kind of tied to the natural order of things, and when the spinning of the planet changed, then that got really fucked up as well. So Yeah, well, because like, they're the winds of magic, right? And yeah. wind stops working when the world slows down. <laughs> so now you've got yeah. these areas where the wind's been sitting and corrupting it heavily. And maybe the, the, the invading monsters are also reacting to this magic. The magic's changing them, but they're also trying to combat it. So you might go to the surface and find you know, aliens or monsters like in these magical areas and they've got their own thing going on and the magic's almost like radiation at this point it's corrupting it's polluting mm. the surface mm. where it's settled in dark valleys and things right like places that that you know are, like, are generally stagnant think of it like radiation that it sits in corners and it sits in in holes and valleys um and it's corrupting everything and some people still there are people that have a very basic touch with magic. Maybe there's some people underground who who can use magic, but it is twisted and it's dark. And if you go onto the surface, you can have more power, but at what cost, right? I I like the idea of 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 the magic being so changed that it's 
it's absolutely dangerous and that it's completely forbidden. So, um, okay. if we're going to, if we're going to cool. work magic, yeah. um, I mean, exactly every, everything that you've just said, absolutely applicable, but when you're underground and you're in society, like Don't if you it. find you have the magical spark, if that's discovered, then you are executed. Right. Yeah. Um, to protect, to protect everyone down, down below. And part of that, maybe the, the emperor who vanished, if we're going with the power vacuum, he part of that was to protect himself because he was using magic to elongate his uh, life. And then that magic yeah. killed him. Maybe he turned into a twisted monster and he's out there somewhere. Um, he or she. And, now that there's this power vacuum, mm. some people are like, well, hold on. Maybe we can use magic now. Like you've got this chaos going on. So you have Maybe this is maybe this is also how there's some places above ground who are surviving despite all the changes that have happened, because they are on some sort of ley line where um the magic is kind of still pure and they're tapping into it and they're able to um create a kind of oasis in the, you know, mm. above ground where Mm. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, I thought, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, man. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> I'm just there's lots of there's lots of um. I think if if we go with like yeah, I was I was originally thinking that like no magic or like magic would be have been forgotten, lost, um, if it had ever existed. But yeah, you're you're kind of talking about ley lines and pockets of corrupted magic and stuff. That there's a lot of. There's a lot of potential there. Definitely. Yeah. It would be hard to reach, right? Like I, I see magic almost yeah. the way that you have it in Call of Cthulhu, where very rarely do you start with magic, but it's something you can gain. And it's not like okay. you don't really build a character around it. It's something that they access. Um, similar to RuneQuest, okay. actually, like a side thing. Or maybe, maybe I don't know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll see what, if people come back with ideas after listening to this. Um, yeah. One thing I really like about um, magic is that magic is accessible to anyone. It's just a case of knowing how to use it or how to control it. Mm. Um, and this maybe there's something we can play with as well. So it's not like you don't you don't build like a magic character. It's just something that's potentially available to any any PC um, at great cost. So it's just like another. Yeah. If you eventually are able to learn something about it or gain the ability to use it. It's like, well, okay, that's something you can add to your arsenal, but you're only going to use it at, in extreme circumstances because it's mm. really dangerous. Or if you use it below ground and anybody sees you, you're going to be executed, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, like, um, I'm thinking, like, um, thinking back to RuneQuest. In RuneQuest, most characters are somewhat magical, some more than others, mm. and they're tied yeah. to they're tied to their relationship with their god. Now I'm thinking that, but you add the at what cost side to it, right? So yeah. a lot of people might, if they really want to, can access low level sort of magic stuff. And magic is generally corrupting. It's destructive. It's not restorative. So you can't just be like magic spell, you're healed. Um, except mm -hmm. for there will be exceptions to this. These these enclaves on the surface that you talk about. Um, yeah, perhaps when that when the monsters first turned up, they fought a war against them to stop them invading, and so much magic was used, it's polluted the earth, and that's part of this terraform process, and why there's all these, mm. you know, these these mm. these sort of ground zero areas, right? Um, and some people might go and accept that twist and corruption. They they accept how, or the, or even the magic could even be the result of the aliens. It's it's part of their terraforming, right? They're using magic to form like to make plants grow faster, to make the environment 
change. And as a result, magic is in itself inherently corrupting and changing. When you use it, it changes you. It changes the environments mm. around you. The more magical become, the less human you become. Maybe that mm. could be the, the thing we mm. do for. The world wasn't magic before, but it is now as a result of these aliens. But you're, you're told to avoid it. You're told to not tap into it. And when you do, maybe you have to go to the surface to, to actually even touch this power and when it imbibes you and you start using it it becomes corrupting and changing and if you use too much of it kind of like in Simba Room how you can become an abomination same sort of thing you use too much of it you slowly become less and less human you give up your humanity or your dwarvishness or whatever to become more powerful of magic and if people see mm. that if they see the physical signs or they see you using magic um then you're ostracized, you're outcast, you're killed, yeah. executed. Those are ideas that we can go with for sure. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we can do kind of a mix of all of that, which is um yeah, which is that the the change the changes that the the monsters are making. Well let's stop calling them aliens and just call them the monsters for now. Mm. Um the changes that they're making, yeah, have had a, have had an, a corrupting influence on on magic. So that that is the case, that you become corrupted as you use it i like that idea a lot definitely yeah maybe that maybe that's what drew drew them to the earth because the ley lines the magic on the earth they came here to tap into that and they're using mm -hmm. the ley lines to to do the work that they're doing right they're tapping into oh, it that's a that's a good idea yeah, yeah there's magic yeah there's there's some sort of the, the kind of the magical energy of this fantasy planet is what drew these what drew these um these creatures Mm. Oh, that's a that's a good one. And they've changed it. They've shifted it. Like they're they it's becoming yeah. becoming more corrupting when you use it because that's what they're using it for. They're recycling it on our on on the earth in question to change it so they can then do their work on it. So they're trying to siphon mm. this energy, use it as a power source, but also use it to turn the earth into perhaps something which is more oh, conductive. You, you know? They've slowed the earth down so that the the ley lines wouldn't work. The the winds slow down everything else, and they and the magic would would like go into these pockets, and that's what they're tapping into. They've slowed the planet down so that they have these pools of magic mm. that they can that they can um harvest. Yeah. 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 I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like it a okay, lot. Okay, we're getting we're getting somewhere. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that that's what drew them to the planet in the first place. They had that they were forced to they were forced to do some drastic things to the planet in order to harvest the magic in an efficient way rather than just like okay, it's it's running nicely and orderly around the entire surface of the planet along these ley lines and you know with wind and everything else, but that's not that, that that's, you know, we're only going to be able to harvest it at very very small returns over a very long period of time and that's just not profitable. So no. how can we <laughs> how can we make things easier for ourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could just to upset B pluck and his whole not wanting people to suck up the water. We could have all the magic go into the <laughs> poles which are covered in water, and then they harvest the water. <laughs> no, but um, <laughs> these these are things that we can. Uh, I think I think we've got a solid idea here. You know, underground empire, yeah. lots of political intrigue and stuff, and then you've got this broader meta plot where you've got these invading demons and monsters which have. Uh, which have come and mm. they've taken over the surface um, and they're harvesting this world's inherent magical energy. Um, I think we've got a lot to work with there. I think it's a fucking cool idea, actually. I've got, I've, because mm. like you can have a whole campaign that never goes onto the surface. 
you know, it's like Metro. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if you've ever played Metro 2033, yeah. you're yeah. all underground. You're dealing with the people, the, the, the changed dwarfs that, that dug ever deeper. And maybe they got, mm. they got too close to like, when they dug deeper, they got too close to the core of the world, which has this magic in it. And then as the magic changed and came more corrupting, it corrupted them. Mm. And now they're coming mm. to the surface twisted and, and, and mutated by yeah. this magic. And then on the surface, you've got these big creatures which are harvesting the resources. And you've got these strange little enclaves of people who have survived on, on the surface. Um, and yeah, you've got a lot of stuff going on. There's room for epic adventure. There's room for intrigue and murderous politics. Underground horror scenarios with alien mm. fucking ferrets drop down the uh, drop down the tunnels. Um, <laughs> the wilderness is in itself this inherently deadly with these long day night cycles and um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are we gonna go with um if if they're here to if the if the aliens have come to harvest the um the magic, they wouldn't necessarily need to terraform anything. Um, but you may as well because you're, you're not necessarily terraforming. Yeah, but okay. While you're there, like because we'll say the world is terraforming as a side as a side effect of the of of this magic, right? Because of the corruption, it's leaking out. The magic is changing mm. because it's pulled in one place. It's taken on a new a new thing and um they're using that to harvest the other resources on the planet because resources are resources they might want yeah, the carbon okay. they might want whatever um yeah they're already here anyway um so you know we don't know that's the whole point it's who knows what the fuck the monsters are thinking because <laughs> yeah. you like yeah. we're not gonna let people play they don't them, communicate right? <laughs> don't communicate we're not gonna let people play them yeah. as long as people aren't getting in the way you know um yeah, I think yeah, I think we're on to something. I think this is workable. No doubt, someone who knows more about science than me will pipe up and say everything I've said about the spinning Earth is wrong. But um, <laughs> I think I think we've got a good solid fucking foundation to work with. I think this is a yeah. cool setting. Are we are we happy with what we've got? Is there anything else we need to really add? Oh, there's a lot of stuff to add, I guess. But um, we can. We can kind of do that offline. Come up with an idea. Come up with a list of things we need to thrash out and do that for our next world building episode. I think this. I think this one was mainly to do the brainstorming to kind of mm -hmm. talk around some ideas that we've got. See what see what sticks. What kind of resonated well with both of us, and then um, flesh out the details a little bit later. So I think we've got. I think we've done that. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, if you've been listening at home or listening live, and and you have suggestions you've gotten ideas whatever from listening to this let us know now i know we always say come and talk to us about what we're discussing this is a big one because we're doing this on air because we want you to be a part of it and at the end of the day if we come up with a setting that inspires you to do some stuff with your setting or to use the setting we've come up with awesome so if you have ideas let us know because I'm fucking quite excited about the shit we've thought up. <laughs> I'm going to have to try and get back into a Simba room mindset for three hours from now, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so like, I think we've got some cool shit here. I think uh, yeah, we've got a good foundation. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think yeah. I think there's a lot to work with, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 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 All right, we've, uh, we've gone – we're getting close to the two-hour mark, so yeah. good, place to, good place to do the outro. Yeah, let's, let's, let's crack into it. Um, next right. next week, we're interviewing the Story Brewers, uh, who are coming uh, to talk to us about Alas for the Awful Sea. Is that the full title? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, a fucking awesome game. It's powered by the apocalypse, but it's um, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a cool take in a a unique setting, one that you don't often see, like early industrial age British Isles. Um, and it's really neat. I've been reading the book. I've been digging it. I'm looking forward to having a talk to them all. Um, so that's next yeah. week. And then, as yeah, always, we have an interview, uh, a review of the game afterwards. So you know the cycle at this point. We give them a talk, and then we, after they've been really nice to us, we either we <laughs> either be nice about their game or we don't. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. That's what's coming up. Have we got anything else yeah. on the horizon that we know of at this stage? Um, no, we've got those two, and then we're going to take another admin break after that. So cool. um, yeah. That's kind of all that we've got currently lined up. Um, in terms of Patreon, we te- uh, we kind of teased it at the beginning of the episode. Um, Patreon is very, very close to, to dropping. In fact, by the time this episode goes live, it might even be live, our Patreon campaign. Um, I haven't actually talked to you about this, uh, Liam, but uh, I've, I went and registered um, a business locally here in Germany, which kind of is the first big step in... Um, yeah, and being able to get the Patreon, getting the Patreon mm-hmm. to go live because of uh, tax implications. So that's that's happened this week already, and there's just one more um, major thing I need to do next week before that happens. So yeah, um, cool. the website for that is going to be mbcast.co forward slash Patreon. Um, if you go there, it'll either be a, a preview of what we're going to be doing if it hasn't quite gone live yet, or if it's gone live, then that'll take you straight to the live Patreon campaign. So um, if you like the show and you'd like to show us some support, um, yeah, we'd love to love to have you on board. Go take take a look at the site and um, see what we've got on offer. Cool. Awesome. And yeah, and as far as getting in touch with us, if you want links to where we are on social media and everything, um, most places you can just type us into the search bar and we should turn up. Otherwise, if you want to find out exactly where to find us, links are on our website, mbcast.co. Um, there's also a newsletter sign-up thing there if you, want to, if you want to sign up to newsletter, which we haven't actually ever written one yet, so only for big things. Um, yeah, head over to that website and then you can find where to contact us on any any social media platform. Mm. Definitely. Okay. Come check us out. Also, uh, make sure you listen to Danheim, who does our theme music. Danheim uh, is available on all of the various music platforms. Um, seems to be biggest over on YouTube. D-A-N-H-E-I-M. That's the right spelling, yeah? Yep. yep. Um, That's right. He yeah. even has a live 24-7 channel on YouTube where you can just go listen to his tracks. Um, yeah, it's a cool song at the start and the end of every episode. Choice. Yeah. Right, I think that's us. I think we've covered everything. Um, yeah, Indeed. so again, fucking come and tell us what you think. If you've got ideas, if mm. you're listening going, mm, I've got this idea they need to know, or I oh, probably wouldn't have done that, then come and tell us. And, uh, you know, we, we may take it on board. Um, I'm hyped. Um, it's annoying I have to wait another month before we can talk about this thing. <laughs> but it gives us time to collate people's ideas and to work on ideas of our own, and then we'll have something to talk yeah. about next time. Um, but yeah, otherwise, hey, uh, uh, I think I think this is where we say thank you. Thanks for listening. Kakiti Anor, and I'll see you next time. Yeah, catch you next week. Thanks for listening.
And cut. Boosh. That's a wrap. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.